Welcome to No Challenges Remaining on day 14 of the French Open Women's Final Day, which was just recently won by Iga Swiatek. We all learned how to say her name in January after she taught us. It's a good thing because we've been saying it a lot and we're going to say it a lot more after she becomes the 2020 French Open champion, beating Sonia Kennan 6-4, 6-1 in the final. This continued a dominant run for Swiatek, not dropping any more than five games, which she did today. Again, five games. So it was the most she dropped in any match in this whole tournament. One of the most impressive runs today. But Courtney, let's start with today's final. What stood out to you most about this win for Iga Svantec today over Sofia Kennan? I think the key was just, I, I was impressed by how she came out and she played flawless tennis for three games uh, mm -hmm. at the beginning. So any questions about, oh, is this going to be when we see those nerves and everything, you know, for someone who is so openly outspoken about her use of sports psychology and having a traveling sports psychologist and all that sort of stuff. Yeah. At some point you start to kind of build this thing in your own head of, oh, so like she's meant she can be meant she's concerned about her mental acuity and sharpness in matches all the time, you know, so maybe she's quote unquote soft. And she did she didn't show that at all throughout this tournament. And then and then once she did get tested by Kennan in that opening set, um, there was the, that kind of two two game swing. There was a long game where I think uh, Shviantek saved maybe a break point or um, at least it was a tight, long deuce game where she was able to hold. And then she was able to break Kennan in a long deuce game the next game. And that was pretty much game set match from there. And mm -hmm. she rolled. But yeah, just the way that she handled her 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 nerves and when she was under pressure, how she stood up, because as much as the tournament has been, at least scoreline wise, all Sviantec dominance. She has been, she's had some tight moments in a lot of those matches, I think especially against Bouchard, a few against Shea as well, where she did have to kind of reset herself. And then we watched a lot of it yesterday, but her semifinal loss, which was a two and a half hour doubles loss in the semifinals with Nicole Melikar, which was yesterday on Friday, we all kind of wondered, like, is, is that going to is that going to leave some scar tissue? Is that bad? And she kind of came into press afterwards and was like, no, it's good. Like, it's probably good that I played some pressure points, you know, like, I mean, I haven't really had to do that that much. So that resilience came through. And uh, yeah, but other than that, it was what we have been seeing throughout the fortnight, which is Iga Sviantec's brand of tennis, which when she is in full flow and not impeded, looks pretty darn unbeatable. So, so two main points there. I want to start with the mental side that you brought up first. I, I do think that there's a sort of, I want to say it's a generational thing among the younger women and maybe the men on tour as well, the standing out from the women or actually younger women actually winning things. This embracing, and I, see this, I think you see this more across sports, this embracing of the mental health side of things, of psychology as being important and being sort of open or I guess vulnerable, maybe to use that word, to, to acknowledging saying, hey, you know, I don't have all the answers. I can get help on this and be stronger in this and admit that this is something I need to work on. And you're really seeing strength from that sort of vulnerability and that openness. Obviously, recently we saw it in a different sort of way with Bianca Andreescu, who won the U.S. Open last year, obviously. And she was very open about talking about visualization. She was very open in that famous Indian Wells coaching visit where she was like, I'm so, you know, just like acknowledging her nerves, speaking openly about it and not trying to do the sort of classic sports, uh, rub some dirt on it, kid, you'll be fine sort of thing. Right. In terms of the mental side, thinking that it was, you know, you were showing weakness by acknowledging that. 
Yeah. And, and I think that what to me made Sviantec stand out even more, though, is that she is from from, you know, Central Eastern Europe. Like yeah. it, it's not surprising for me to hear a Bianca Andreescu, a Canadian, talk about mental health, or an American, or a Brit. I mean, Michaela Schifrin, Michael Phelps. Like there is a long history uh, in the Western sporting world—not history, but recent history. Marty Fish of yeah. Marty Fish, right? Of you know being more open about. And when we talk about men- mental health, we're talking about a very broad spectrum of things, yeah. from clinical to kind of just more, just kind of fine tuning and things. But um, uh, it, that's why it was always it really stood out to me with with Iga because she was Polish like she didn't train in the West she was just out there and she saw as you know a 16 year old that that the mental game is as much a weapon in your 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 backpack as a big clubbing forehand it will win you slams it will win you matches and we saw that here but i think that that's a big cultural difference um, yeah. and that's why i think it kind of moves the ball a little bit forward in a way that yeah maybe with bianca it was kind of like oh that's cool like good for you like you know this seems like to run counter to the culture one story that I haven't read, I think as obviously she now enters the Pantheon of Grand Slam Champions, I'm hope, hoping to read some sort of deeper dive into soon, is on her father, who was a rower for the Polish national team, was at the Olympics rowing for Poland. And, you know, that's like a sort of classic, you know, Eastern Bloc kind of era athlete uh, from those countries. I don't think there was a lot of sports psychology happening on those teams. I think it was it had to be a lot of just real, you know, toughness in green, or at least it's a stereotype yeah. we associate well, that's, with that. And sort she of says she yeah. And she that, said her that, parents were resistant to this initially, exactly. right? So, so it's a generational thing for her, sure. And I'm sure she would, and she obviously was raised in a big sports family. And that was the one question. I don't know if people heard the interview I did with her sports psychologist, Daria Abramovich, on the last, or two episodes ago, I guess it was now. Uh, that was the one question that she didn't want to get into as much, where she was like, I, that's sort of you know, her own thing, um, which obviously made my ears perk up. So I, I'd be curious to hear, to learn more about that from Ega, because it's not something I've had time to really ask her about, like what that sporting ethos was like in her house. And also on court. I mean, that was the one time that Iga kind of got quite emotional was when Marion Bartoli asked her about her father and who was there with her sister, Agata, um, in the box. And she kind of got emotional about it. And that was really the only time where it felt like, yeah, that that the bubbly kind of like, holy crap, what's happening, teenager, kind of stepped aside to something where it felt like there was something maybe a little bit more underneath the surface there. And then again, in the press conference, um, she kind of sidestepped it a little bit or not sidestepped it, but just kind of gave a, a bit of a, a top line answer as opposed to diving into it. So yeah, it definitely it definitely perks the ear um, and makes you curious. But but yeah, no, I think that it's it's so great to see. And it, and it just set up this whole kind of interesting dichotomy because before the final, obviously the psychology thing has been a big angle on Iga, so that's been a thing that's been discussed. But then it was brought up to Kennan, you know, after her semifinal win. And she was like, I'd rather have a physio yeah. than, a, than a sports psychologist. And in my head, I was like, but why not both? Like the <laughs> gift, you know, like, like I mean, you, you're making tons of money now, like, you know, like after becoming a slam champion and everything, like, why wouldn't you employ a full physical and mental team? Which is what Sviantec has. She has a coach. She has a traveling, you know, physio, and then she has a physio slash trainer, I think. I can't remember which. And then she has uh, Abramovitz at the big tournaments. I mean, Daria doesn't yeah. travel with her everywhere. That's another thing I'd be interested to hear also. And I heard 
McNamara sort of openly asked this on the broadcast of the yeah. final. It's like, does she have a lot of money? Like, this is a lot of support staff to have at this early stage of her career. I'm not sure what if she has sponsors to cover her family. Who, I don't know. Federation. I'm not sure what the yeah. situation is. But I'd be just interested to learn more about that side of it as well. Because that's not something everybody can just have a, a traveling psychologist, especially when you're ranked outside the top 50. For sure. Yeah, that, to add that on. But it's team. something that, for example, if you're a Federation... Yeah. If you're the U.S., I mean, if you're like the richest federations on the globe, so especially USTA, FFT, you know, TA and L- LTA, Tennis Canada maybe is also another one. Like, why wouldn't if you had young players in addition to sending, you know, because you have like a coach kind of coaching a bunch of different people, why not send when you have a bulk of players yeah. at a big event, you know, a, a sports psychologist or at least, you know, and embed that into your players when they're young, that this is, again, it's it's just as important to handle this as it is to, you know, hit a drop shot. Absolutely. No, it's something that I think we'll probably see more of, you know, yeah, assuming so. people keep up with the, the sort of constant arms race in tennis. If you see this winning out is what you, you adapt and you you added on to two hanging th- thoughts from this. First off, mentioning North American mental health people, belated shout out to Rebecca Marino in that category. Yes. And secondly, because she obviously was a super leading person in tennis, being open about her depression diagnosis and everything and coming back years later after that. And then also, <laughs> my mom reminded me, uh, my dad's dad was a psychologist. He did some sports psychology, too. And he was friends with like a lot of boxing promoters in Miami Beach where he lived. And they sometimes would send their fighters to him. And they quickly stopped doing this because he was <laughs> telling the boxers, like, if you don't want to get punched in the head anymore, that does not make you unwell. That's a completely normal thing to have, that you don't want to get hit in the head anymore. And obviously the promoters did not yeah. like that <laughs> injection well, the, of that. So anyway. And and we've seen that. I mean, we've discussed this, I'm pretty sure, in the past of, in, in podcasts about, about the the resistance as well of, yeah. of people not wanting to delve too deeply, of, you know, being worried about what lies beneath. You know, I mean, the, on yeah. some level, it does take either somebody who, for the most part, you know, maybe comes from a stable family and this kind of is almost like a luxury type of treatment, I guess, uh, sports psychology, or someone who really is in desperate need of it, who has a lot that needs to be kind of unpacked almost just outside of the sports psychology world, but in just needing, you know, a a psychologist or possibly a psychiatrist. And then you have the in-betweens who kind of feel like it's okay. Like I can just make do or, you know, but yeah, to see a 19-year-old do what she did in this tournament and to say what she said, and she's saying things that not a lot of other people say in terms of yeah. how she approaches these matches. It's it. I think it, it hopefully will make people take a, take notice. I think so too. And the other thing I would say with her in terms of like you talking about like you don't want to uncover something beneath the surface that sort of makes everything unravel is that Iga, as we think we talked about on the show, she was treating this tennis career as sort of a potential gap year, right? She has other things yeah. in her life that she's interested in obviously the tutors and other schooling things <laughs> well, she's just, that she gets into. But she but yeah. she wasn't but she wasn't somebody who like seemed like her entire future and, you know, self worth was staked on whether or not she could make it as a pro tennis player, which is right. not a quality everybody has. Yeah, no, then that and this is where, yeah, I think that when we could like obviously I know Iga pretty well. I've interviewed her a lot over the last two years, but like in terms of the basic building blocks of her story, I there's a lot of gaps there. So hopefully the Polish press, well, I mean, within reason, you guys don't get all tabloidy and weird. But like, you know, I would like to know some details. But I do think that, you know, even little things that she would have that she's made decisions on in terms of, like you said, you know, focusing on school, you know, she was constantly 
like basically skipping Madrid mm-hmm. in order to t- take exams, like knowing like in the middle of the clay season, she had to stop and go and take exams. And again, under the stereotype of kind of like Central European, Eastern European players, that's not a thing. Like, I mean, like they would they, they're they're scratching and clawing to make it onto the tour, you know, so yeah. she was definitely there. There seems to be some kind of margin for her to to make certain decisions that maybe not everybody can make. But hey, but if she can do that and, and this ends up being a, a, a proper blueprint for a lot of people, I think that that's a really, really, really good thing. So you mentioned the other part of your opening answer, just reflecting on the match, was talking about her unique style and, and her gameplay. And this is something that we've heard a lot of her opponents uh, reflect on for more than a year now. So here is, to tee this up, a super cut of various answers of people <laughs> talking this. about uh, having played Iga and just their thoughts on her. And I, and one thing that stands out about this, I will say, because it's some of the parts that's a little bit fragmented, especially in WTA, opponents don't generally wax poetic about who they just played. They don't. The women do not talk about each other's games that much. It's not something they're particularly inclined to do or always comfortable doing. And so it's one of the bigger differences between how the men and women talk about the sport. It's something I've definitely noticed covering both tours. Very true. So here you're going to hear from, in chronological order, Naomi Osaka last year at Toronto. It's a famous match. Victoria Azarenka at the U.S. Open, when she beat her in the third round this year. Then you hear Von Joshua very briefly from the first round here. Jeannie Bouchard, third round. And then you're going to hear Halep, and then you're going to hear a bit of Sonia Kennan today. So take it away, Supercut. Naomi, it seemed like uh, you were pretty impressed by what you saw from Iga today. What did you think of her game, and what do you think was the key to to beating her today? Um, Yeah, I mean, she has a very odd ball for me. Like on the forehand side, it's quite spinny, um, and it drops down. I think Um, she hits really well cross courts on both sides, so that was a bit tricky navigating in the beginning. it's just so different, though. The way that she strikes the ball, I can't even compare it. But for me, the most impressive thing that um, I saw tonight was her movement. Like, she's a crazy good mover, just sliding. So hopefully I can learn that from her. Uh, Courtney from the WTA. Courtney, you are live. Courtney, what you got for me today? Vika. <laughs> <laughs> a bunch of boring questions, and I apologize. Mm-hmm. But uh, can you just talk through the match today? Um, you know, playing a player who's young and upcoming, and you haven't seen her play, and mm-hmm. um, she's play- she played a great match. Um, yeah. So how did you problem solve out there? Yeah, I think that's a, that's a good way to to put it. I wouldn't say problem solving. I would rather say like finding a, a right answers because she came out playing incredible like there was balls winners coming from all angles from from all sides and as, as you said I, I've never played against her I've, I haven't really seen much uh, of her play and a little bit of what I've uh, I've seen from a previous match today I felt like it was another different level so that was a little bit unexpected not unexpected but surprising but it, honestly in a very good way I was I was very, um, uh, I don't know what the word I'm looking for, to be honest. Like, I was really surprised, but in a really good way of, of how she plays. I think she's super talented. She has a beautiful game, very smart, uh, has a unique movement of, like, sliding and getting into that, that position, can mix up her serve. I think, you know, she, uh, she's only 19, so I really hope she's, she's going to turn up her game. But I was... I was really pleased with her attitude on the court, trying to find, you know, solutions and, and very positive. So, uh, 
I, I'm, I'm very impressed by her game. And, and as I said, I hope she's, uh, she continues to work really hard. And I'm sure we'll see a lot more of her. So I'm very pleased with, um, with her game, yeah. Hello, Marketa. Uh, tough luck. Uh, can you just talk through the match today? Uh, was that just uh, too good from her or did you find the conditions difficult to play through? Uh, also, but I think she was too good today. She didn't give me much chances, so uh, I think she was just better. Yeah, I felt like I played a very uh, good opponent. She uh, was putting pressure on me from the beginning, and so, yeah, I felt that. I mean, I felt the pressure from her, and that's what good players are going to do, and that's what I try to do on the court as well. Uh, but today she did that better than me. Well, yeah, uh, all the credit to her. She played uh, unbelievable today, and... Um... She was everywhere and uh, she hit all the balls in. Very strong, very powerful. Um, it was a little bit cold and I couldn't be at my best, but um, yeah, she played really well and uh, her match was like, no, it was her match today. She was um, really dominating the match and was really aggressive. No, I knew she's gonna be aggressive. I knew that she's playing this, uh, this way. Uh, today it worked really well for her, every ball. Uh, she was very confident, she was powerful, so um, it was a great match for her. Courtney, go ahead. Um, Simo, just uh, additionally on Iga's game, what did she do out there that surprised you in particular? Because it seemed like no matter where you put the ball, uh, she seemed to be quite on balance and ready to kind of come back with something even harder or more difficult. So what surprised you? I think she has the same uh, game like last year when we played, uh, but last year maybe I played a little bit better uh, in the way that I pushed her back more and she didn't have uh, this time to to just kill the ball. And today it was better for her. Uh, I think she, if she feels the ball, she can be great uh, on the uh, a little bit under the shoulder and uh, in the inside the court. So she did that and uh, she found some uh, great angles today. Um, well, I feel like she served really well. Um, she dictated really well with her forehand and, you know, some, um, especially in the first set, a few shots here and there just didn't go my way. And she played uh, some great tennis and, you know, she's got that really good forehand, the spinny forehand up the line, uh, you know, really good back and down line. And I Sophia, congratulations. Like you said, I think you're probably going to get a lot of player of the year votes this year with the year you had. So congrats on your year. Thank you. Uh, you mentioned Iga's spinny forehand, particularly, which I think is something a lot of players who've played her this tournament have mentioned just how unusual is that sort of shot in in the women's game and, and what sort of things did she do out there that you don't really see from a lot of other players um well yeah i mean the spinny forehand you know it obviously doesn't look like it's so difficult but it has so much spin it bounces up and then it's obviously going to my backhand and then you know i missed a few backhands cross when i had the chances you know because you know it's not it's not an easy shot uh she's got a really good backhand down line you know she went a few times behind me uh, you know, drop shot was also well for her. Uh, she served big on some points. Um, but yeah, I mean, she really fought. Uh, she fought really well. She's had a great run, great tournament. And, uh, you know, uh, I mean, I wish I would have won. But uh, I'm just happy that, you know, I got to where I am now. You know, I guess uh, some people said uh, in Rome, lost a bagel. So let's just say like that. And then I'm able to get to the finals. So uh, I think it's a, it's a good result for me. But of course, I'm quite disappointed that it uh I didn't get the title, but uh, you know, overall, I'm going to take the positives. Courtney, yeah, you've heard you've heard all these answers. What, and just watching her too, what do you think makes Iga such a disruptor? Makes her so unique out there, and, and clearly, it's paying dividends results-wise right now. 
Yeah, I think the, a few things stand out to me. Obviously, the big the big one, which everybody kind of mentioned, is her forehand and, and the heaviness of that forehand. And one thing that that really struck me, and because we were talking about this before, about kind of, you know, you had brought up the idea of the supercut, and I was kind of giving you, you know, the the players that you should pull. And um, because what always really struck me about that, in addition to what you said about how the women don't generally tend to, to big up the players, is that when they do it's usually because they're wowed by power. The way that the, the way that the tour talks about Petra, for example, is a really good example. Mm-hmm. Or Serena or Sharapova back in the day. Osaka maybe. Osaka, right. Yeah. yeah. But that's kind of the game that 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 impresses people, right? Like go back to 2014 Stanford and uh, Andrea Petkovic marveling at Naomi Osaka's forehand. Yeah. And Iga, when you watch her, you don't see pure power. You don't see somebody just slapping the ball, muscling it through the court. That forehand is very heavy. It has a lot of margin. It can. She's already knows how to use it to kick people off the court, to drag them out wide, and to open up space. And the other, so the forehand, obviously, you take notice of. But the other thing is well is that if you go through her stats at Roland Garros, her winners unforced were balanced almost precisely on forehand backhand. She doesn't have a weak side. No. There isn't an idea that you go in and you're like, well, let's attack the backhand then because the forehand is what controls everything. But she can do, she can hit her backhand in many different ways. She has that great backhand up the line. She has really good angles that she was dominating for a set and a half or so of uh, the doubles with in particular. She was hitting angles on that backhand that like those doubles players, you saw them, they're like, you know, no one does that. Like no one, <laughs> like the reason why that winner looked so clean and nobody moved is because like no one ever hits that spot from that right. spot, you know? So there's a little bit of that good first serve, great kick on the second. So again, on clay, even with the the weather, she was able to kick it and and she was winning like 60% of her second serve points throughout the tournament, which is kind of an, an absurd clip. You balance that all out. She's tall. She's range. She's a good athlete. Great anticipation. She plays doubles. She likes to get up at the net as well. And she's a complete player. And so when you look at her, there isn't this lightning bolt wow factor but you really get this where I really began to understand Iga's game was more by hearing precisely what you played, which is the supercut. Like when Naomi kind of stood up and took notice, like last year in Toronto, like, yo, this kid is not. And Naomi is literally never talked like that about anybody yeah, except maybe Serena. But like she never has. And she was just like, I mean, she was retweeting Iga's hot shots against her after that oh. Toronto win. Like. It was crazy. It was a famous let's, match. <laughs> let's be clear. Naomi Osaka, big old Stan. Big old Iga Shvantec She was stan. on it. She, I was worried about her. She was very nervous during this match. And you saw that coming, right? You saw the, uh, the mm. you like, that's on you. You get that. You get credit for that. You, you kind of, you kind of put those two together faster than they might have otherwise. You were sort of the meat cute there. I only mentioned like, oh, I think that you guys would get along to both of them. Mm-hmm. And maybe nudged Iga to not be scared of Naomi. Like Iga was like, I can't talk to her. She's a celebrity. I'm like, she's not a celebrity. She's Naomi. Like, come on, get over it. And then they <laughs> practiced and it was all fine. But yeah, no. So, you know, that's when like Naomi saying that. And then you heard it a lot from players who would play her that there was something different about this kid's games, uh, this kid's game. And when she's on, she just tears apart draws. It's nuts. I mean, I encourage people to go back and look at her ITF results, like her title runs. And obviously consistency is an issue. And she knows that as well. But uh, her title runs are like full of just yeah. 0, 1, and 2 sets. 
when she was first getting into the ITF, I saw on Twitter people used to call her Eviscera Tech or something. And she just like destroy <laughs> just, draws. Just not a good nickname, but no, like, it's, it's not not especially not especially. Uh, but, we yeah, <laughs> but we sure. get the point. But we get the point. Shvantec is one of I think nine, I believe, in the last fourteen slams yeah. to be a first time champ. Is that the, that's the stat? So yeah. we're talking about Ostapenko, Sloane Stevens, Wozniacki, who's already retired, uh, Halep, Osaka, Barty. Andrescu, Kennan, and Iga. Like, this is a lot, right? This is a lot of people. Do you, what do you think is going to determine, and obviously some of them, like Osaka already has three slams, even though she's part of that group. So she's the one who's kind of been adding them up. Halep also has won a second already as part of that group. What do you think it's going to take for, do you think Iga has it in her to, to join that group? And Because I've heard people say like, oh, it's just another sort of, you know, I heard someone compare her to Halep. Someone was like, Halep, you know, just like won and they went away. I was like, what are you, what are you, what are you talking about? <laughs> Halep is the one you're going after in this group? No. <laughs> anyway, it's a tough time to buy stock in a Grand Slam champion, let's say, in women's tennis to become a surefire number one, like the way they used to be sometimes. So what, what do you make uh, of just sort of long-term prospects for this era? This doesn't really necessarily settle anything down. It more introduces another character to the top. How do you think this will affect the mix for next year? Because this season of Grand Slams is over and pretty much right. the big tournaments is over because we just have Premier Ostrava left. Yeah, I think that it is introducing another member of the cast. But I do think that, you know, when I look at that list of, of first time slam winners, particularly on the younger side, like I'll, I'll kind of set aside the Hallops and even Sloan and, and, um, and obviously Caroline. But yeah. amongst that younger set, starting all the way back with Ostapenko in 17, I just really feel that Iga's game and her mentality, I put up there with Barty and Andrescu and Osaka. I mean, you have to say Osaka because she has three slams at this point. Those are kind of the four players that I would kind of set a little bit apart from the rest of like a younger pack that might come up only because I think that each one of them won their slam or slams in Naomi's case, not having to play out of their minds. And they managed it mentally really, really well. And they've shown at, you know, I mean, Ego, we still have to wait because we have to see what she does after this. Mm -hmm. But they've shown, right, like Bianca won USO, but like she had won Indian Wells Rogers Cup before and she played pretty well, like in China yeah. and, and the WCA finals after that. Naomi, same, obviously three majors, Ash, absurd 2019 season of just kind of winning everywhere, winning in the finals. So with Ego, you still have to, to wait and see. And you also have to kind of have a bit of a Bianca caveat of kind of like, we need to make sure that your body can withstand a full WTA season because it hasn't. I mean, she last year she had to shut it down for a foot injury after US Open. So, and this has been an abbreviated season. So yeah, she's been healthy all season, but it hasn't been the full and she's still a teenager. Yeah. So we have to wait. So we don't want to go crazy. But I think, but that's where I put her just because if you can win these things and not ever look like, oh, wow, you had a lucky two weeks. You know, that's where I think that, that you know, you sit up and you take notice. Nobody is thinking that. Because look at the number. The numbers, obviously, because these wins are not flukes. You can't reel off these scores. Let me just see if I can pull up her scores real and quick. And as you're pulling them up, I have to say, from the insider account, and I never do it. I never roast the, the responses or quote tweets that I get from Insider, yeah. although there's some wild stuff that happens in our mentions. But somebody <laughs> did retweet because I put out the tweet of like her run and how she only lost 28 games. That's the the second fewest in history, just second behind Graf wow. uh, and uh, tied with Everett. So Graf in 88 lost 20 and Everett in 78 lost 28 
And that's what Iga lost was 28. Wow. That's it. So that's what this run was. And then listed out the players. Right. And somebody was and like some dude like quote tweeted it and was just like, what a joke draw. And I was excuse, like, excuse, excuse me, you me, got clown. You got the player of people who entered this tournament. Right. Because Barty's obviously out. So you got the person who went furthest last year and found the first round one and two. Then fourth round, you get Hal, the most recent champ in the draw. Number one currently in the rankings, one and two. And then you get the most and then a, then a champion at a slam from this year and Kennan four and one and then you throw in obviously a tough sort of you know momentum filled player in bouchard who's playing with a lot of confidence now three and two and if you beat shay suway you deserve Wei. a slam I'm getting there i'm getting there <laughs> one and four and then the two qualifiers who obviously on paper are not tough but they 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 were their own sort of hurdle which we very clearly flagged and which alina svitolina did not come close to clearing that hurdle as number three so i think it's a totally legit run and my last sort of thought was going to be i'm wondering where this tournament run for iga ranks in terms of like best tournaments of all time right in terms of like Oof. in terms of best runs of all time it has to be in the conversation losing 28 games the only other one the one that i sort of think people sort of mention all the time is serena at the 2012 olympics right where serena in 2012 yes, yeah, goes out course. in the olympics here's her run there yankovic first round three and one ula radvanska was her most games lost in this whole tournament second round two and three then third round zvonareva one and oh fourth round wozniacki which are quarterfinals were the same thing, so 64 draw. Quarterfinals was Nyaki 0 and 3. Then we get uh semifinals Azarenka 1 and 2 against number one ranked Azarenka, and then in the final, famously, Sharapova 0 and 1. Like that's that's still, I think, untouched by she this. She won that but one like, game and yeah. <laughs> like, oh boy, here she oh comes. Boy, She's yeah. back. <laughs> Uh, just uh, such a good such a good i, I would say never change but i know she will never change so. <laughs> you don't even have to you don't even have to ask no so i i just think i just think yeah, i don't even i don't want to start like a i think we'd have to do more research to sort of be like best runs of all time before having this i mean graph dropping 20 and then oh yeah and, and then, double, bagel and then the double bageling the final <laughs> yeah that's is, up there for sure is is pretty up there but um but in terms of out of nowhere because that's the thing with serena yes, was already serena in 2012 graph had already won slam well before okay she got there but to do Ostapenko, it from outside the top 50? Ostapenko, if you go back and you look at her draw. Okay, she had a tough draw, but she was winning tough matches. She wasn't that's killing true. ladies. That's true. I mean, she so, was winning yeah, three I can, setters. I can yeah, she won like draw. five three setters or something in that tournament. Or all of them. Maybe they were all three setters. Like Stozer was in there. Wozniacki was in there. Um, um, obviously, Hal Ostap- in the So, final. yeah. So, Ostapenko, first round, Chirico, throwback. Second round, Monica Puig. Uh, who had just won the gold medal the year before, I guess. And then third round, Serenko. So these aren't the toughest matches. Okay, fourth, I, I fourth, remember it. Fourth round, Stoser in three. And Stoser, remember, had that injury because Stoser could have won that tournament. Yes, that's oh, right. Sammy, that was yours. Oh, <laughs> Quarters, uh, Wozniacki in three. Semis, Baczynski in three. And then Halep in three. I okay, think with, no, I this, think, is be- this is better. I think, yeah, definitely better. But I think what made Ostapenko so memorable is just that it was it was just the redlining. It was just like the the going for broke all the way and like the constantly just like being in like top gear and hurtling around everything and somehow staying on the road. Yeah, no, that I mean, was, Ostapenko. That was the style the, for her. The somehow staying on the road is precisely like right, I think. Um, you just, you understood how she was doing it. You just were kind of holding your breath to see yeah. if she could right if she could make it it's like man on a wire like can yeah. you make it to the other side like i have no idea and i'm riveted by that um but with Sviantek, like outside yeah. of the halop win no one will remember any of her performances necessarily in this tournament because 
they were fairly perfunctory or I mean, her match against Bouchard was really good. I have to say, I think Jeannie played really well in that match. And there were a lot of tight games there. But for the most part, I, and Von Drusheva, that match was over like in a snap. And I was in there asking Von Drusheva afterwards, you know, was, was it like you were off? Would, did something happen? You know, could you have done anything? And she just was like, no, like there was absolutely nothing I could have done today against that. Yeah. against what she was doing like you know and so it'll be interesting how Iga's run is remembered because it is will it be remembered because of just what it looked like on the stat sheet you know or will it be remembered because people have like a, a visceral memory of it yeah. um, which are kind of two different things sometimes but I think that her win over Halep I think is when it it, it kind of sealed her legitimacy for everyone not just beating Halep but just the way that she did it exactly you know? And Halep, who wasn't by any stretch terrible. Uh, no, she was so, playing so good. So, so two last thoughts for this episode. One, we haven't really talked about Kennen, who was in this final. Kennen went off court for a medical timeout at 2-1 in the second. Didn't win a game after that. Uh, she's been having some tape on her thigh during this tournament. So I guess just assess Kennen's performance in tournament. And then secondly, Kennen, I think, um, would get... I'm not sure if they're doing normal WTA voting. Maybe you know the answer to this or not. Uh, for the awards this year because of the abbreviated schedule, Kenny would get my vote for player of the year. I mean, making a, a sure. slam, winning a slam and making another final, and, and a then slam a, final, throwing an extra title. title there in, in yeah. Lyon, which I do think matters, showing that you weren't just there for two tournaments, but you were positioned to be doing something pretty special. I think Kenny had had a spectacular year and and yeah and and showed up to a lot of the events, which not everybody did, and should get my vote. So I think if this is her last match of the year. It seems like so good on her but what do you make of her her match and, and her season and where this leaves her to sum up sonia kennan's 2020 and her rise is to just listen to the commentary both on nbc and on tennis channel i mean lindsey davenport on tennis channel was just yeah i mean we all just have to kind of admit it like no one thought that this was the ceiling or the potential for sonia kennan no one did i mean we can all try and pretend that we were more hip to the hip to it you know, then, but that's just the reality of the situation. I mean, I think that even if you're a WTA fan, you saw what she did last season and you knew she was building and she was like dangerous, like somebody you would never want, you know, a, a favorite or top seed or somebody to face in the first week. But you didn't necessarily circle that person as somebody who would like be in the second week, like, you know, deep. And so for her to do what she did 2020, which was build off of a standout 2019 season, very underrated what she was able to do last last year in terms of just winning titles. And the thing that I really liked about Kenan and, and Svantec in this final, in terms of the stories that they told, is like these are two players who have been given really nothing. Like they yeah. had to build their own hype. They had to build their own ranking. They, you know, Sviantec was very open and I really appreciated her being very honest about what it felt like to not be able to get wild cards, yeah. you know, because you're not from a major federation. You don't have tournaments in your country and how that slowed down. Her. I mean, she, who knows? She may have been an 18 year old Grand Slam champion mm. had she been able to get wild cards into events to build up her ranking faster. She only played her first WTA main draw like last year. 2019 Australian Open was her first main draw match, which is crazy. And she was ranked outside top 100 at the time. You know, Kenan, in a lot of ways, has had to do the same. And that means that they know how to win. Like yeah. they didn't have to, they didn't just show up at a tournament and win because they got a wild card and win two matches and get a ton of points and constantly sit in that top 75 range, you know, like 
you know, we we talk about the guys about this sometimes, right? With like Harrison back in the day and even just what wild cards have been able to do to kind of sustain Sock sometimes in his mm-hmm. ranking. And, you know, in the America, you know, it, it is a thing. It, it happens in Britain. It happens in France. And, you know, Cornet's streak of like slam, like slam main draws that she's played. A lot of it has to do with the fact that she, if she needs it, she gets the wild card in France and that helps buoy her ranking to be able to get direct in everywhere else, even if she's injured or something yeah. like that. So, yeah, like I think that with Ken and she knows how to win and she's shown that she's she's incredibly resilient. I mean, I do believe her that she was physically ailing in this match. I don't think she was 100 percent in the second half of that match. I think the first set, depending on how that goes either way. You know, we'll see. But she wasn't 100 percent. And I think that Ego wrong footed her on one shot in the second set that I think exacerbated things. But Mm. yeah, I mean, how can you argue? I mean, anyone who wins a slam and makes a slam final, that's just a darn good season. And, you know, no argument for me. She could easily have been. I don't know if they're doing the race rankings, what they look like. I don't think they did them this year. There's no championships this year. But uh, I'm guessing she'd be number one in the race. And if it wasn't for the adjusted ranking system in which Halep and Barty both get to keep their slam champ points, you know, it's very pot And Vondrosheva even to me. Lots of people. There's sort of points inflation happening now. So you're not going to see people move up as much as they might. Like Sviantek only, I think, gets to 17, I believe I saw. 17, yeah. After this win. And so. 17. Yeah. So the rankings are going to be a little bit iffy for a while or just sort of require context for a while right and so kenan yeah and if it has been a full year could have been number one that's what i'm basically trying to say and that's a big testament sure. to her and and what i was going to say what i was thinking as you were first starting your answer like she didn't you kind of would think there'd be more of a stair step right that she'd especially with her kind of game which is not like a overpowering game on any level that she would kind of get to sort of like a a svitolina stair right on the on this on this on the ladder and sort of be someone who is in the in the top 10 maybe lower part of the top 10 like sort of there as a battler but she kind of skipped that step in, in australia and then really backed it up you know this obviously she lost fourth round she absolutely of, uh, backed it up yeah and so yeah, yeah no just, she I'm did i mean because her. like she you know because i think that sometimes with sonia i wrote this in my final preview because she wears her heart on her sleeve because she's constantly on the verge or actually in tears on the court <laughs> before the match after the match she's very open about it yeah. you see her and you think that she's unraveling and you think that she's fragile and you think that she's a lot weaker than we have any right to think that she is, you know, because yeah. like everything that she's actually proven is that she's not weak at all. The fifth game of the the, the third set in Melbourne against yeah. uh, uh, Muguruza in the final, love 42-2, she hits five, you know, five straight clean winners to hold. You know, she wins the Australian Open and then everybody's like, oh, you're going to slump. She goes and she gets that title in Lyon, which, yes, it's a smaller title, but she got the title, right? I yeah. mean, other players have tried when they have when they are slumping and they don't get them. I thought that was them. huge. I think that was huge. That was huge. And, and, I, then, and I, I had a lot of confidence yeah. that she was going to do well in your Indian Wells Miami had they happened. Like, I think she yeah. really did reset and shook off the sort of nerves with that Leon title. And so I agree that I think that's good, that yeah. leveled her out mentally. And then, yeah. you know, obviously, you know, fourth round at the U.S. Open playing your home slam first slam since you became a world, you know, a, a Grand Slam champion. You're like more of a thing now. You get bigger court placement, more attention. Fourth round losing to Meritans, that's not bad. I would love to see also the last time somebody made a slam final. I'm sure this has never happened. When their previous tournament was getting double bageled. Like, the resilience. Yeah. My gosh. Like, so anyway, props to Kenan. Last thing before I let you go. 
Uh, quick thoughts, and we'll talk to you tomorrow after the men's final, but quick thoughts on what you're looking forward to in that men's final, Nadal Djokovic. I mean, I hope it's a good match. I hope that, you know, we get to see what that matchup always gets hyped to be, like a great match. I hope it's not just this physical war of attrition. That's just selfishly to me. That's not, as I've said a gazillion times on this podcast, I don't enjoy that style of tennis. So I hope that it's just not that. Hope the conditions are 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 chilled out and like it's not too windy and it's no rain, you know, whatever it is, just neutral conditions. And just because I want the the video to be bigger than it is, I want Rafa to win because of the Ega video of her like videoing herself at her first, the first time she ever went to a slam was 2016 Roland Garros. And she has a video on her Instagram account of her watching her fave Rafa Nadal. And if you don't catch this, she walks onto court with the racket in hand, just like Rafa does. She mentioned him during the, the trophy ceremony, you know, like I've seen Rafa win this 13 times. Like, I can't believe I'm standing here. Like so much of her love of tennis is related through that guy so i would love for her to be able to have that fft book where like you know she and rafa are standing you know side by side in a composite photo because that would be pretty cool i imagine she'll be in the stands tomorrow um i know she mentioned uh, hoping to get tickets on nbc and and they were like i think if you want tickets ego you will get tickets so there's definitely uh, space yeah oh that's that's true (laughs) even if they are sitting clumped together for no clear reason in that stadium there's definitely space there so Courtney, thank you very much. And thank you thank to you. you all for listening. Thank you to our Patreon Slam Champ backers for backing NCR so loyally during this French Open, which is almost over. Liz Kennel, Jonathan Weinbaum, Mary Carrillo, Leah Williams, Tron Nguyen, Betty, Audrey Wellens, Sean Mulroy, Susanna W., Jean Simeon, and Antonio Maycumber are the Patreon Slam Champ backers. And our four GOAT backers, Mike, J.O.D., Charles Cena, and Nicole Copeland, if you want to join them. We are at patreon.com slash no challenges remaining. Also send us messages to no challenges remaining at gmail.com. Apologies. I might might have missed some during this tournament. It's been kind of hectic, but we'll catch up on sort of mailbaggy stuff, hopefully, uh, in the sure. time after the event. And that's about it. Rest up for the final. We're almost there, Courtney. You're done. Oh, I'm well, done. You I don't know you what you're talking about. Maybe. Yes, I do have the doubles, but but no, I'm done. <laughs> right. Good. Congratulations. And Thank you. we will see y'all tomorrow. Bye.